Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Pastor Aaron uh, spoke and began our study here last week, and just as way of reminder, there we go. That's the caffeine kicking in. Yeah. Had a strong cup, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. Deuteronomy um, translates to uh, second law, do, to, know me, law. But it also, in the original uh, Hebrew, um, means these are the words. And uh, just by way of reintroduction of the book, it's the words that Moses gave to the people after the 40 years of wandering in the Sinai Peninsula all over the place and not getting to their destination, which should have taken, what was it, 11 days. And instead it took how many years? 40 years. It's just always good to remember that, right? If you want to find the quickest way from point A to point B, follow the Lord. <laughs> um, you know, and that, anyhow, that's probably all I need to preach on today. That's all you, anybody really needs to hear, right? Is that over and over and over again? Um, so the, in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, we kind of get the, the beginning of this kind of, I guess kind of a sad story, right? Because um, Moses is, is now teaching the people who are left over, uh, who've, uh, who've endured for the 40 years, but he's reminding them of all that has transpired. And he's kind of going back through, and that's what this book is. It's, it's, it's a new generation of people. He's going back through the commandments of the Lord and teaching them again. He's like, okay, your forefathers kind of messed this up. I don't know if that's anybody's testimony here, but um, it's pretty much the testimony of humankind your forefathers, you know? And of course, we had many forefathers that were amazing. I'm not speaking disparagingly about them. But very often, your forefathers messed it up, you know? They didn't get it right. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know his ways. They didn't know his power. They didn't know his truth. They didn't know that the way up is the way down. They didn't know that the, the best way to move forward is, is by getting on your knees, they didn't know that the way to succeed was to make yourself the least. They didn't know. Or they knew, and they didn't follow. This is the testimony of every generation. Some people stand up and, and come to the Lord, and some people sit and, and, and don't. And so he's teaching them. He's, he's kind of, so this whole, this whole book is him coming again, because he's been with them this entire time. And he's reminding them of these lessons. Today we're going to be in chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there. And he's reminding them in this chapter about, well, there's a little heading in my, in my book called The Desert Years. And they have just, they have just failed in this one great way. They've, they've the Lord told them to go up to, to take the land, and they said, 
no, we're going to send spies. And then they decided, no, that's just too much. We're not going to do it. And so then came the penalty for rebelling against this word, which is in the end of, of chapter one. Um, and then they say, oh, 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 yeah, we'll go up now. And the Lord's basically like, too late. And they go back to this place called Kadesh Barnea. Um, can you go ahead and put that map up? I know that's really tiny. Kadesh Barnea is on the, the left, about two-thirds of the way down. And the promised land, of course, is the, uh, kind of between the, uh, the, the Salt Sea and the Sea of Galilee on the north side. And so they're back in Kadesh Barnea, which is, which is where they kind of have been, in some ways, centered during this time. And it tells us now, beginning in, in chapter 2, verse 1, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea. And you'll notice in your Bibles, the way of the Red Sea is capitalized. It's actually a road. It's a road that went on the southern side of this, of this map. So that's why you see it capitalized. As the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. Now that's kind of interesting because it means they didn't really know where to go. When you skirt around something and you're like, not sure, they didn't know what to do. So they were skirting this mountain and they didn't know where to go. So the the Lord says, go north. He's commanding them now, this is how you need to come into this land. And he commanded the people, verse 4, saying... You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau. Of course, Esau is the brother of Jacob, and his descendants had been given this land. Uh, The descendants of Esau who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. And this is interesting. The the instructions that are then given him in verse 5 Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. Now, I know that probably doesn't seem like a big deal, but think about where they are and where they've come from. How do they have money? I guess it will be probably some leftover from what they plundered from Egypt. But think about this also. What have they eaten for this many years? Manna. So the fact that the Lord is allowing them to buy food, this is like if you have been on a road trip and you've only eaten the food in your car, right? Or the thing that's left over like in the glove compartment sometimes. You know, you're like, I don't know how old this granola bar is. But looks to be from the 80s. It's not uh, I think there's like a Back to the Future emblem on the back. I don't know. It's a, little, it's a little iffy. And you finally get to like go into a restaurant. You're like, oh, yes. They haven't had a choice. They haven't had a menu of food for so long. The Lord is very gracious here allowing them to just buy food. So take note of that. And, buy, and also to buy drink. And it says in verse 7, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows 
you're trudging through this great wilderness. And these 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. Now that's interesting also because, first of all, the Lord is very much recognizing when we as human beings and they specifically have to trudge through things. Has anybody had to do a lot of trudging the last year and a half? It's been like an environment of trudging. It's like one more thing to have to go through as a country, one more debacle, one more social ill. And he reminds them, he says, he knows this, but the Lord has been with you and you have lacked nothing. Now imagine hearing that when all they've had has been wandering around and they have had all they needed, but they have to be reminded that they've had all they needed. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and food everywhere they went, just enough. Are, are we able to say in our days when we have just enough, not too much, or maybe something's been taken, but you still have just enough? Are we content to say what he is saying to them? That the Lord has been with me and I have lacked nothing. We need to learn this kind of deeper appreciation of what the Lord provides for us in our lives, especially as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, so obviously they did get through this area, um, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir, away from the road on the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Geber, which are the cities, by the way, on the south side of the Salt Sea, which is the big sea on the map there. And by the way, I'm sorry the map is so small. And that's it. <laughs> and we turned and passed by way of the wilderness of Moab. So they've gone through one people group. They've gone through one challenge. And then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab. So this is the next group that they are running into. Nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. It says here in verse 10, the Emim, which are the kind of giants, had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. Sound like kind of Star Wars terms, don't they? Anakim Skywalker. I'm just kidding. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. So they had different names for these, these people groups. Later on, we'll call them another name called Rephaim. In verse 12, the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now rise and cross over the valley of the Zered. And so we crossed over the valley of Zered. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea, remember that was the place where they kind of started out from, until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years. Again, just underscoring the length of time that it took for them to get to this place until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. 
So it was, verse 16, when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are about to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. So now we come to the crossing of the second people group. So he gets through the people of the descendants of Esau. They are a relation, of course, to, to Jacob, as his brother. So there's some kind of familial thing. We now go through the Moabites, which are descendants of Lot. Again, another kind of familial association. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And so he's, the Lord is saying again and again so far, don't mess with these people. Get, go through here peacefully. This is, this is basically, this is not the place of battle for you. This is not the place to, uh, uh, to, to cause any kind of uh, damage or to, to go into war. And then we get now to verse 19. And it says, and when you come near the people of Ammon. So now we enter this third group of people that they run into. Do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Once again, these are relatives or distant relatives of the nephew of Abraham. And I got to wonder at this point, even when I was reading the text the first time this week, I was like, I wonder if the people at this point receiving this word, like, oh, and don't bother these people either, and don't bother them, and if they're like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, are we just wandering more? Are we going to get to the promised land and just wander again? And we will see. I'm going to let you just enjoy the frustration, just like I did, <laughs> as any good pastor would do. And when you come near the people of Ammon, please don't take that personally. Do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession. Because again, I have given it to the descendants of Lot. That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them, and this is the best word in the whole chapter, Zamzumin. I think that that's worthy of a pause and for us to all just say that together, Zamzumim, but like with gusto, right? One, two, three, Zamzumim. Oh, we can do better. One, two, three, Zamzumim. Ah, I'm more looking for like a shout. Ready? One, two, three, Zamzumim. That's right. That's what you would say when you saw them coming, right? And then you'd be like, call Anna Kim Skywalker. <laughs> Oh, that's them. That's the same people. Sorry, no. The worst part about doing stuff like that is that's the part you're going to remember from this message as opposed to the content that I'm actually trying to get to. Zamzumim, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place. One brief note also here. When we think about lands and who lives there and what is, going, what is going to happen as far as people being dispossessed, in the ancient world, just like a lot of our modern world, people are always taking over lands. People are being chased out of lands. People are then coming over. New people are coming, taking lands from them. And you get a sense like they're all just trying to kind of make do and, and, and fight people and then take land. Like it's happened from the beginning of time. So we've got to remember that. Let's see here. Just as he had done, verse 22, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them. 
They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftarim who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. And now in verse 24, it gets interesting. Rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite. Now, if you've not heard of Sihon before or the Amorites, please underline this in your Bible because this, is, this becomes very important as to why and how they are entering the promised land. Go ahead and just underline that word Amorite. He's the king of Heshbon and his land. And, I'm oh, sorry, and begin to possess it and engage him in battle. So now he's like, no there, no here, no, yes, Go. Now, please remember that because it's going to be very crucial to our study as far as who we and what we do today as far as what battles you get into and what battles you should not as a follower of Christ. This day, verse 25, I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace. Notice that also. When he tells them to go into battle with this man, that he says, the, the strategy that I'm employing here is, I'm going to begin with words of peace. 27. Let me pass through your land, and I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left, you shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir, Seir excuse me, and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me when I crossed, when, until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. And Sion said, sure, come on in. We've got a Taco Bell on the right, Kentucky Fried Chicken on the left, and my favorite, Chick-fil-A in the middle. Not quite. But Sion, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. A brief word on this. A lot of people struggle with this issue of the Lord hardening the heart of people. It happened with Pharaoh in the, in the book of Exodus, and one thing that I was taught long ago is this interesting thing about who the Lord is and who we are as people. The Lord is always the same and generous and gracious to all people. And there's a saying about, about this that I think applies to this situation. It says, the same heat of the sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. It is the same heat of the sun that hardens the clay that also softens the wax. Depending on what material it's then applied to and the heart of that material for man, the result is up to the material, whether or not they receive and how they receive that sun. If you have been in your heart hardened against the things of the Lord your entire life and something happens where you have to kind of surrender yourself to him, most often you will harden yourself against it. This is not something where the Lord just kind of picks someone willy-nilly and says, 
them. I'm going to just change them. Because also the same would have to be true for us if we are softened to the Lord. That all of a sudden he just decides to kind of turn on. No, we all have free will. We all have a decision to make about accepting and receiving the Lord, his guidance, his truth, his love, his mercy. How deep you go in relationship with him. The same sun hardens the clay that softens the wax. What are you today? Are you clay? Are you wax? The Lord will, will come in and minister to whatever material you bring in. Verse 31, And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. And then Sion and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz, and the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. And the Lord our God delivered him to us. An important part of this issue of battle. So we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men, women, and the little ones of every city. We left none remaining. And we took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took. From Aroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. And the Lord our God delivered all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok, or to the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Now this last verse is very key for our study. And I'm sorry it's taken me a little while to kind of just get through the chapter, but we kind of need to do that in order to then find out what exactly is this all about? What is it teaching us as believers? Why is it important? Why do we need to know this? The beginning of the history of the Bible has a lot to do with this issue of not crossing a boundary or border that the Lord has forbidden. I was just reading this morning in Genesis chapter 3, which is the famous chapter of the fall of man. The Lord gives them this amazing garden, every tree to eat, beautiful place, and he lays one rule before them. One rule. Don't eat of this one tree. And just like us all, when you get a commandment of what not to do, that thing, let's pretend the pole is the thing that we're not supposed to focus on, you're all going to look at the pole. Don't look at the pole. And you're like, oh, try, try. And then you just stare at it. Following the Lord is always this issue. There's always this issue of not going to the one place where he forbids you not to go. And the issue there is obedience. And so here, where we read here that the people do not go where the Lord has forbidden them is actually quite a compliment to the people. In fact, I'll point out a couple of things in the chapter that I think are quite remarkable. We've just heard in this first chapter of Deuteronomy about the failures of the people. 11-day journey, eh, messed it up, 40 years. 
wanted, we're supposed to go into this certain time, and didn't do it, now relegated to this other thing. And on and on and on it goes, failure and failure and failure and failure. And the question I want to ask you this morning about this chapter is, is there any failure of the people to obey what Moses and the Lord has told them to do? Is there any disobedience in this chapter? Look. Did they, when they were told not to go into this land, did they go in and try to do it the wrong way? No. This is a chapter of obedience. This is a chapter of success. This is a chapter that you can actually use as a guide mark for your life as a follower of Christ. When you're walking along the way and the Lord says, you know, don't, don't, go down that, don't, don't go down that path. Don't just stare at the path you're not supposed to go down. Don't just look at the pole. Keep moving the other way. And then you'll come to another path and he'll say, eh, no, not that way. And you're going to be tempted. Look down that path. Look down that path. Look down that path again and again and again. Look at the pole. Don't look at the pole. Don't look at the pole. Oh, I looked at the pole. That's who we are. That's who we are. You're tempted. I'm tempted. You're tempted by sin. You're tempted by things that the Lord has said you cannot have. You're tempted to do things your way. You're tempted to do things according to your opinion. Right? How many different ways are there to have a cup of coffee? How many ways do we need to have a cup of coffee? But we all want our coffee a specific way. Like, but I like it with, you know, uh, two-thirds of, of oat milk creamer with a drop of cinnamon and uh, um, an agave syrup. And the next person's like, no, that's, that's wrong. Right? Isn't that wrong, Terry? Yes, because it gets blasphemy. Because it's only about espresso, right? I mean, we're all agreed on that, me and Terry at least. And maybe Tony. Yeah. No, but see, Tony's our coffee guy. He, uh, he only likes a medium roast. We all like things our own way. And we're all, we're, all tempted, we're all tempted to go our own way all the time. This morning when you woke up, you wanted to go your way, right? You ever been in the car with somebody and you know where to go, but they've been going that same place a different way, and they're like there, and they're, they're like, hey, why don't you turn right? And you're like, why don't you mind your own business? <laughs> I mean... Yes, sweetheart. Um, we have, we do, we have our, <laughs> we have our preferences. And, I mean, and this is not to say that you shouldn't have your coffee your, the, the way you like it. I mean, this doesn't, does, no, praise God. Huh? You're like, oh, we can stay at the church because we're about to leave. Um, no, but this is a chapter where, where when, they, when they heard the Lord through Moses tell them a specific direction about how they should go, where they should go. They went lockstep. And imagine, imagine how hard that is for like a single family of three to five to six to 10 people. It's, it's almost impossible. Three million people, three million people in lockstep for an entire chapter of God's word. This should be like, we should like emblazon this with gold. Be like, oh, this is amazing. Deuteronomy 2, right? Deuteronomy 2, it's an amazing chapter. 
because the people obeyed. Now, why? Why? Why did they all of a sudden, did they get the message all of a sudden? Had the Lord not shown them a a lot of things before about what to do and how to do it? No, 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 no. This is, I mean, why did they obey here, but after the crossing of the Red Sea, they built a golden calf? And the the commandments, I mean, like, why why here? Why why now? Like, why didn't they obey before? And maybe you've asked that in your own Christian life. Why didn't I obey before? Well, it's a dangerous question, but a good question. I think they learned something recently that, that changed them in a way that maybe you didn't expect. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. That's right, we're going from one Old Testament book to another one, further into the law, the book of Numbers, which is the book to the left of Deuteronomy, chapter 20 and 21. You see, in Deuteronomy, we get a kind of a survey or an overview of this traveling of 40 years, but we don't get all the details. If you want the details, you gotta go to Exodus and you gotta go to the book of Numbers. And what happened between chapter one and chapter two in Deuteronomy are these stories that we're gonna just kind of look at briefly this morning. You see, before they were now obeying and following the orders to go up and go through these lands, to go through Moab, to go through the land of Esau, to go through the land of the Ammonites, and eventually to then conquer the Amorites, a bunch of things had happened. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 14, they tried to go from Kadesh Barnea through the land of Edom. And the people of Edom said, no, you can't go through. And they were very disappointed. So that's one. They had, like, they had a big failure. They tried to basically find a shortcut. And that's why they had to go around. You see how that path goes down and then up? It's like, why didn't they cut across? Well, it's because of Numbers 20, verse 14. The people of Moab, which were basically in that area, said no. Then, more bad news. They were there with Moses and Aaron that whole time. Aaron now dies. That's in verse 22 in that section in 20. Then they have a brief victory with the Canaanites at Hormah. That's the beginning of chapter 21. And then, where I want to draw your attention to, Verse 4 of 21 in Numbers. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, that's again that road, to go around the land of Edom. That's why they had to go south and then up. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. They were discouraged. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Sorry, kiddo. I understand. For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. It's the only thing that was keeping them alive, but don't bite the hand that feeds you, I guess applies here. 
Don't curse the hand that feeds you. Da, da, da. So the Lord quieted them down and said, there, there. Oh, no. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. Yeah, did you know that the Lord does that sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's a feel-good message. Fantastic, fiery serpents. Bring it on, Pastor Jeff, let's do it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, at least they realized this, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord said to Moses, now this is the most amazing thing. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Is that the oddest solution that you could have ever come up with? Snake bites, people dying. We're going to put something on a pole and then you just look at it. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So we can look at the pole? (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I really wish he wasn't a good friend of mine. (laughs) Only when there's a serpent on it. If you look at the emblem of most ambulances, you'll see a pole with a serpent around. It's all based on this passage. Now, you've got to unpack this a little bit, right? Because there's all kinds of things swirling here theologically and, and, and swimming here as far as our Bible knowledge and understanding is concerned in this passage. Who was the great tempter in the garden? serpent, right? And that's what the Lord, the Lord sent the serpent here to bite them. The Lord allowed a serpent in the garden. He will allow serpents in your life. And Moses was commanded to make a bronze serpent. I can just imagine what was going through his mind as he was making this, you know? And putting it up on a pole, like, really? (laughs) Really? But there is also a promise. There is a curse placed on the serpent in the book of Genesis. I'm just going to read it to you quickly. That I think plays into this story quite well. You don't have to turn there, but it's Genesis 3 if you're interested. In Genesis 3.15, it says, uh, of the serpent... And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. 
he shall bruise your head, that is he being the, the seed which was Christ, and you shall bruise, I'm sorry, he, sorry, the serpent, uh, I'm messing this up, sorry. He shall bruise your head, that means, that means the Messiah, the Christ, will bruise his head, and you, and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. And I think that plays into this passage here in Numbers because the people, of course, would have known about this story in Genesis, about the serpent, and about the temptation, and about failing. And now, being bitten, they have one up on a pole. It's a symbol of defeat. You don't have an animal on a pole that's like you know, about, to, about to harm you. It's the symbol of the defeat of this serpent. It's a symbol of the curse that was placed. It's a symbol also of the future victory. And it is also a symbol, as you read in the New Testament, that Jesus quotes from this, also, this story as well. It says, and then I am, I am lifted up and people look on me. The true one who bruised the head, who crushed the head of the serpent. And so when the people are commanded to do this in Exodus, I'm sorry, in, in, in the book of Numbers, they're having to walk completely by faith. They're having to do something that doesn't make any sense to them logically, and yet also something that relates to the very foundation of their understanding of what sin is and who the serpent is and what does that mean for their lives. They're having to look upon this thing, to turn their heads in the midst of tragedy, in pain, in sorrow, and look on something in faith. And that is the thing that is going to heal them. How many of you had to go through a season, or maybe even many seasons, of serpent bites and pain and suffering and doing it your own way again and again and again and again before you finally turned your head to the cross and saw the suffering Savior? What did it take in your life to turn you away from your own ways? How many serpent bites did it take to look then on this, on this cross, on this place where this man was crucified 2,000 years ago? That's where my healing is? And for many people, it doesn't make any sense when they first do that. They're like, I don't understand why, but I'm told, the Bible tells me, Christians tell me that there is healing in this thing. I'm told that if I look upon this with faith, I believe about what it is that is going to rescue me from my pain and my sorrow, and you look upon it in faith, and what happens? Things begin to change in your life. Your heart begins to become regenerated. You become a new person. You become born again. And I think for these people in the desert, when they experienced not just all the other things that happened before, but when they experienced their own pain and their tragedy and they, they experienced themselves having to look upon a serpent and then being healed, I think it spoke volumes to them because their behavior did change after this, at least for a short period of time. But hey, you got to give them credit because guess what? You look at your behavior, my behavior, yeah. Yeah, you're going to be praying for, or give me a Deuteronomy 2 week, please. Let me just, come on, let me just come, 
do it the right way every day, every, every second of the day. I, I, you, know, you, you know yourselves. I, I, I know you. I know me. Whew. That's a tall order. At the end of Numbers 21 is the explanation of then them going in to defeat King Sihon. Does that ring a bell? This happened shortly before this. Anyhow, back to Deuteronomy 2. What I think they learned through that experience was they learned about the power of obedience. The power of obedience. Who in your life has encouraged you to learn to obey? Think of the people in your life who have encouraged you to walk in obedience. Obedience to parents for children. Obedience to the Lord for those of us who follow. Obedience to his word. Obedience to what he tells us by the Holy Spirit. Because my guess is that there are probably just a few number of people, and those are the people who probably love you the most, who have taught you and reminded you again and again about the power and the truth of obeying. And who are the people also in your life who couldn't care less about whether you obey and couldn't care less about whether you follow what is true and good and holy and loving and not to be casting dispersions upon them. But those voices in your life will never lead you to Deuteronomy chapter 2 for you. It is only the voices and the voice of the Lord leading you to understand the power of obedience, to look upon the serpent in your need, to look upon the cross as you walk through this life. You cannot sidestep the importance of obedience for a son or daughter of the king. You have a king. You have a savior. He is Lord. And we are to follow and obey him. And the people in numbers, learned the power of obedience as they looked upon the serpent on a pole in their time of need. Do we continue to look upon the cross? When's the last time you just took five minutes of your day and remembered the suffering Savior on the tree? When's the last time you took a good hard look at what he had to do to set you free? When's the last time you looked upon the scars in his hands and the nails through his feet? When's the last time you looked at the thorny crown and you remembered the price that had to be paid so that you and I could live. When you remember the death he had to suffer so that we could look upon him and now have healing in our wings, healing 
in our hearts, healing in our minds. There is no thought that you cannot control if you go to the cross and ask him to help you to control that thought. There is no action that you do or addiction or problem that you have that you can't handle the burden of. And they are burdens when you look upon the cross of Christ. There is no financial problem that you will face in your life that as you look upon the cross, the Lord cannot help you to bear and to deal with. No social ill that you deal with that the cross of Christ cannot help you then to respond to. No problem within your families. No arguments. No disagreements. Nothing under the sun can undo you if you look to the cross as you go through it. And this is how we live as Christians. Christians are people who walk through the same muck and mire as everyone else and yet look up to the cross and say, and at times you are probably saying to yourself, I can't walk through this. I don't know how to walk through this. I don't know how to respond to it. Fine, good, great, look to the cross. Look to the cross. I wonder sometimes if we don't try to figure things out. Have you ever put your mind to work on a problem? Oh, there's this problem, so I'm going to just really put my mind to it, and we're kind of like, like you know, kind of like a Rubik's cube. If I do change that thing and that, this, you know, the finances, and to check, and if I say this, they're going to say that, and it's going to do this, and this. Oh, that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, my cube is complete. I personally have never solved a Rubik's cube, so that was just complete fakery. <laughs> but we do. We think that we can like think our way through problems. And it's not, of course, to say that we shouldn't use our minds. Of course you should. But the first thing you should do with your mind is go to the cross and receive, yeah, that's exactly right, and receive wisdom that you don't have in your carnal mind. You don't have the wisdom to deal with these things. You don't have the know-how. You don't have the instruction. It's not in you. It never was. But through Christ and looking on the cross, you can have that which you need to then get through the things that you face. How many trials are there in this room at this time? Please don't raise your hands. I don't really want to know. I care, but <laughs> how long will we be here? Yeah, it's one of those. And guys, let me just encourage you, as you go through your trials and your burdens, at the end of service is a time where people come up and, and, and pray together. We should be praying for each other here as we meet. Not just because something really bad has happened, but it's just as you walk through. I need wisdom. I need help. I need to look at the cross in the situation. I haven't been. Can you pray with me? Pray with each other. Come up and receive prayer. Ask for wisdom. Look on the cross together. We're all like, you know, the people who have been, we're all the bitten serpents. Y'all come in here, you've been bitten by serpents this week. I guarantee, I guarantee. <laughs> what is that? What is that? What is that from? I guarantee. What is that from? Anybody help me? The Cajun chef. I just quoted the Cajun chef as a pastor. Shame on me. I thought it was maybe foghorn leghorn or something. It felt that way, you know, in my gut. 
We, we need to be clinging to the cross of Christ and remembering our Savior and asking for the Holy Spirit. We, we need to be, as a people, endeavoring to be like the three million who walked through Deuteronomy 2 and learned the power of obedience as they looked upon the serpent because it did something. It did something to them as a group. It caused them to unify. It caused them to be able to follow the directions of the Lord. And there was not, again, going back to Deuteronomy 2, there was not a single disparaging remark. And if you read through any of the journeys through the desert, there was constantly complaining. Moses, oh, Moses, 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 they said, you know, and the old Aaron Baron, you know, and they're just making fun of all these dudes all the time. And why should we follow you? And then an earthquake would happen and it would swallow up 40,000. They'd go, oh, because you told us to. Sorry, obedience. Yeah, I forgot about that. And oh, I wish we could eat the stuff in Egypt again. It was great. We're like, did you forget that you were slaves making bricks out of nothing? They're like, oh yeah, the slavery. Oh yeah, the bricks. I forgot about that. The leaks in the pots. They were great. And there's this great song. Yeah, I'm rolling. Uh, there's this great song by uh, by Keith Green, and it goes. It, the name of the title is "You Want." So you want to go back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt. And it just goes on and on about all the stuff. Like, you, you forgot the thing you were saved from. You forgot the thing that the fiery serpent that was there. You forgot all the pain and the struggle that happened before. And now because the Lord asked you to go a little bit uphill, you want to go back to Egypt. And we got to just ask the question, right? Are you serious? Are you serious? Don't you remember what you've been saved from? Don't you remember the pain and the agony that you went through when you didn't have a savior? Don't you remember what happened when you didn't know what was going to happen at the end of your life? Don't you remember not knowing how to deal with the concept of death at all? And now you've been set free from it? Now you've been given power to overcome it. Now you've been given a living hope that conquers the grave. You guys, are, you're on the gravy train to, what am I talking about? Gravy train to heaven, you know? Maybe you don't like gravy, pick something else. You're on the chicken nugget to heaven, whatever. You're, you're, you have been set free. You have been saved. You have been sanctified. You have been given a hope and a future, and you want to go back to Egypt, are you serious? And we have, to, we have to treat this temptation this way with that kind of question. We have to look on it that seriously. We have to look on that question even that mockingly because it's there waiting for every one of you. Every one of you will have the moment every day where there will be the temptation to go back to the land of Egypt, to turn away from the cross that sets you free, to turn towards the temptation, the thing to look at, the thing to obsess with, the thing to worry about. Do you want to have a legacy at the end of your life where you are known as the worrier? Who wants to have on their gravestone? Here lies Bartholomew Jedediah III. He worried a lot. <laughs> really? Here lies Jessica Marmuchin Amakim Skywalker. 
she couldn't get her act together. Here lies whoever. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And here we have this beautiful chapter where the people have learned the obedience of looking upon a serpent on a pole. And it says, whoever looked, whoever was healed. Now, I have this question about that text. Did all the people look? Well, we're not told. I, is, I would assume, like you do, that not everyone looked. And, and there's a good lesson there, actually. What happened to the people who didn't look? They perished. That'll preach in a wilderness where all you have is survival. That'll preach. So the people were told back in Deuteronomy to turn north. Remember, they were, they were going around the mountain. They were doing this. I like Mount Seir. It's nice. It's nice. This time of year, it's beautiful. That's Prokofiev, by the way. Anybody know what it's from? Peter and the Wolf. Good story about temptation. And the Lord says, in the midst of their wandering, right? Verse 2 in Deuteronomy. And they skirted Mount Seir for many days. How many days? I don't know. But remember, 38 years is somewhere in here. And the Lord says, turn northward. And what did they do? They did it. Are you going in circles right now? And the Lord says, go north. Are you going to listen? Are you going to obey? You're circling in your job at work. The Lord says, be faithful. Continue. Are you going to do it? The Lord says, love the person who is harassing you. Are you going to do it? Or are you just going to do this? Go northward, he says. Go northward. And then he says, as you go, don't bother on this one. Keep going. And he says, oh, and don't bother with that one. Keep going. Oh, and don't mess with these people. And by the way, an important note. The Lord will teach you as you walk and follow him to not mess with people. To not bother those whom you may think might be your enemy or might be against you. And you might think, is this my battle? And the Lord will go like, uh, 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 uh. go northward. He will tell you, he will tell you when it is that you are to go into battle and when you are not to. And this is the second thing that I really want to focus on this morning. Because the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And you will not win battles if you fight them in your own strength and according to your own wisdom because you don't have the wisdom that it takes. 
You don't have the know-how, you don't have the power, you don't have the resources, but you can tap into looking upon the cross in order to have them for the time and the battle that then comes. They obeyed not messing with Esau. They obeyed not messing with Moab. They obeyed not messing with Ammon. But when it got to the Amorites, remember I told you to underline that? Chapter 2, 24. Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. Oh, oh, are we going to do something now, Lord? Are we going to do something? Are we going? Are we going in? Look, I have given you. I have given into your hand Sion, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, in his land, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. How often do we get in to the wrong battle? How often are we going northward and then we're distracted by Ooh, Esau? I, I don't think we like him, right? Because there was some bad blood there. We're, weren't we enemies? So I'm going to like focus on it. the Lord's like, go northward. And we're like, no, but I'm focused here. And he's like, go northward. Are you fighting the right battle in your life? Or are you spinning your wheels fighting battles that the Lord has told you, I didn't tell you to do that. I, I didn't tell you to get involved with that. I didn't tell you to focus on that. I didn't tell you to use your resources on that. I told you to go northward. And when I want you to get into a specific battle, I'll tell you. The Lord is faithful. He will tell you. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more patient and waiting for the clear obedience of the Lord to tell you. But until he says, now, don't do it. We have to learn to wait upon the Lord. And that's one of the hardest things to do. It's one of the hardest things to do. Because sometimes you get your marching orders from the Lord and you're like, okay, battle time. And he's like, okay, northward, just, you're just walking. Just walking. Really? Just walking? We got three million people. We could take these guys. Nope, nope. Just go northward. Just walk. Buy some food. Oh, food, yeah, but keep going. Oh, okay. It's not your battle. The battle that you think is, that's your battle, it's not your battle, it's the Lord's battle. Whatever it is that the Lord has you to do, that's the Lord's battle. That's what you need to key into as a believer. To not fight the wrong battle, but to fight the right battle at the right time. Because the battle is the Lord's. Now here, interestingly enough, why did the Lord tell them to take on Sion. Why the Amorites? Was it just like willy-nilly? Was he like, nah, 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 yeah. You know? Like a pin the tail on the donkey, a pin the tail on Canaan. Like, there, take it. No. It goes back to the promises of God. In Genesis chapter 15, We are told of this interesting thing. It says, 
But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were a vicious people. There was a specific reason why the Lord wanted that land and those people to be driven out. And the Lord, similarly, for you in the battles that you have, he has specific reasons for specific people at specific times for you to go into that battle and not before. But also, just a verse or two later there in Genesis 15, and this is also echoed, echoed in Exodus 33, the Amorites were just one of the people groups that God had promised to give the land of to the descendants of Abraham. It says here in Genesis 15 that Moses, he would, according to, to Moses, that he would give, excuse me, to Abraham, he would give the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's all say that together. Ready? The Sites, the Sites, the Sites, the Sites, the Sites, and that Sites. And one of the groups there is the Amorites. But you'll notice in that list is not listed the Moabites. Is not listed the Ammonites. Is not listed the people of Esau. The Lord is very specific about who he wants to engage in battle and who he does not. And he's very specific about which people. Scion, by the way, means, means warrior. And if you're interested to read some, some, some kind of fasting things about Scion, you can read Psalms 135 and 136, which talk about the defeat of Scion and then the, the later on defeat of this other king named Og in Bashan. They're written into the lore of history. And I think one of the reasons why they, of, 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 of many other kings, because there were many other defeats and other people who were defeated, I think one of the reasons they focus on Sion and on Og, which, first of all, they're just great names, right? right? We defeated Sion and Og. Oh, you got Og? We got Og. Good. Good. They didn't talk like that. Just I talk like that. One of the reasons I think it's recorded in Scripture, though, is in one of the praises of God's people, again, Psalm 135 and 136, is because it was the capstone event of what happened when they obeyed God. God wants you to have certain victories in your life. God is interested in victory. He's not disinterested, but he wants the right battle, and the right victory at the right time. And I think for the people, they look back on this. Oh, we got Sion, we got Og. How did we do that again? What did we do? Oh yeah, we wandered for 40 years, grumbled and complained, got bit by serpents, looked on a pole with a serpent, and realized something incredible, that all we had to do was obey. That's all we have to do. Don't you ever sit with your kids and you're like, the blessings for you are so great if you would just not write with crayons on the wall. <laughs> Can you just not write with crayons on the wall? And the Lord looks on you and he looks on me. He's like, oh, 
the, the victory ahead of you is, oh, it's so good. There's a scion, there's an og. But can you just stop constantly complaining and, and trying to walk this your own way? Can you stop writing on the walls of your life with crayons? Can you stop doing things in your, in your own strength? Because you already found out that that didn't work 20 years ago, and it still doesn't work now, and you're trying to go back to Egypt last week? Can you stop doing that? Because I have a victory for you. I have a battle for you. I want, and I want you to have the testimony that you were involved in a battle where you defeated Sion, where you defeated Og. There should, be, there should be victories in the Christian life. I'm not saying they happen all the time or every moment. They don't. You have to go northward for a long time. But when the Lord does give a victory, it is a huge notch in your belt. You're like, look what the Lord did. Look what the Lord did. And that is the testimony that you should be hungry for as a Christian, is to have many, 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 many stories of saying, look what the Lord did. Look what he did here. Look how he got, oh, and, I, and then you, you got to tell people when you do victory. You're going to be like, yeah, and I, on, the way, on the way, I was a little squirrely. I got to tell you, I was a little squirrely. But the Lord showed me how to walk. The Lord showed me what to avoid. The Lord showed me what to be involved in. First Samuel seventeen forty seven. Then all his assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Remember how they walked into this battle that they were finally, finally got the chance to go in, right? They're finally like, okay, we get to go in, we get to go in. Okay, so like, swords? No, words of peace. Oh, man. <laughs> so it's not just the battle, but it's how you fight the battle. Do you go into your battle? Words of peace. Words of peace. You bless the house that you walk into that you disagree with. You bless the boss. I'll just leave it right there. You ask for the blessings upon your boss. Words of peace. There is the battle and there's also the way of the battle. And all this comes down to the issue of obedience. And honestly, just to close this out today, the issue of the narrowness of the path of following Christ. How narrow is the path of Christ? Is it like, is it like that narrow? It's like, oh, that's enough for about two people, one and a half. Is it that narrow? Oh, that seems, that seems too narrow, Lord. Come on, come on. Is it that narrow? Is it that narrow? 
that narrow. I can see one thing through this narrow path. What can I see? The cross. The Lord doesn't talk about narrowness, and Jesus spoke about this a lot, because he wants to keep you from things. We are tempted for the broad path, and we're told the broad path is the way of what? Destruction. But he knows that the narrowness is to keep your eyes focused on the one place where you have the resource that you really need to give you the victories that he wants you to have. Following Christ is a narrow path. And you have to get used to the narrowness. But it's also the path where there is constant life. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, you can turn there or just listen. It says, Jesus speaking, says, enter by the narrow, the narrow gate. You ever try to do one of those things like at dinner time, you're trying to get past a chair and you're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. But then when you sit down, it's a feast. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. There's the gate and then there's the way. These are two things. The gate and the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Which leads to life. And that word life, zoe in the Greek, means like abundant living. True living. I am alive in that place of Zoe, of true life. But it is through the narrowness that you get there. And there are few who find it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the offering and the fat of rams. Why? Because obedience leads you on a narrow path. Do you realize you can't have obedience without saying, okay, I'm going to do that thing, and then you have to go in specifically the direction of the obedience. Obedience is the way of narrowness. It's the thing that leads you and keeps you on that path of narrowness that takes you to the place where the Lord will show you the battle that you should be in and the battles you shouldn't. But are we happy? Are we happy with the narrow way? Don't you sometimes look upon the narrow way and you think, oh man, it seems awfully narrow. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but we complain about it. We're like, oh, but I have to just go in this, this one direction? Just northward, northward? I forget which direction I am. I'm heading south, aren't I? Yeah. Just northward, and, and, we, and, and that's where we become like the Israelites before Deuteronomy chapter 2. Oh, come on. Come on. Can't we go to the left? Can't we go to the right a little bit? Can't we go to Orlando? Whatever. And the Lord's like, there's no life there. Do you want life? Do you want 
do you want destruction or life? Like, which do you want? Like, can you, can you, can you kind of make up your minds here? Which do you want? Do you want, hands up, who, who wants destruction? Ready, one, two, three, and... Uh, but you all want this other thing, right? Who wants life, abundant living? Who wants to know incredible, abundant living in their life? That's what I want. That's what I have found as I've followed Christ over and over and over again. Wow, I didn't... The abundant land keeps growing on the narrow path. But the path is narrow. And the path and the way is difficult. But the life is so good. The life is so good. You are so good to me. You are so good to me. You heal my broken heart. You are my Savior who loves me. Is that your song? It's the, it's the song of those who are on the narrow path. You can have so much destruction on your right and on your left, or for you, on your left and on your right, and you stay on that narrow path, and you will maintain your song. You will maintain who you are, your identity. You will maintain the direction and purpose of your life. You will be maintained, and you will have abundant life as you stay on the narrow path. But the opposite is always true. That as you wander off of it, you will find there is no life there. There's just doubt and wonder. Like, stay on the narrow path. Have a Deuteronomy 2 week or month. Could it be that the Lord would give us a Deuteronomy 2 year as a body of Christ as we pray for each other? Do you not hear the, understand, the, the reason why we have to wrestle with these, the reason why we have to be in prayer together? Before you leave here today, pray with somebody. Just pray with somebody to stay on the narrow path. And if you've never come to Christ, know that he will receive you with open arms. Amen. Know that his blood was shed for you. Let's be a narrow path, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have told us so many things, Lord, in your word, and, and we just want to be the people who say, we're gonna, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to walk on that narrow path, Lord. And I just pray for your people, Lord. I pray for myself that we would be narrow path Christians. That you would turn us away from the temptations and the doubts and the wanting to go back to Egypt again and again and again and again. And teach us, Lord, to know where the battle is that you want us. And show us where that battle is. Would you equip these saints this morning by the Holy Spirit? Would you equip them by the power of the word? Lord, would you equip them to obey and to do so in lockstep together with their eyes in one place? with their eyes on the cross. 
Father, we love you. You're so good to us. Help us to keep our song ever before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.